Well, good morning. Um, had a little bit of technical difficulties this morning, but um, we're still excited to be able to share um, and worship with you, also to share the, the gospel message with you. And uh, what's been on my heart for uh, the last uh, few days is to really just share the gospel this morning and where our hope comes from um, in this time. Uh, there's a lot going on, a lot of uncertainty as we've talked about uh, the last couple of weeks, but the good thing is we have hope in Christ. But today I really want us to look at this and see um, where our hope comes from. Before we jump into the message though, um, I wanna do something. Uh, I know many of you are at home and you're watching uh, with your family, uh, probably been at home a lot lately, uh, which in some ways has been a really good thing. But right now with those that you're with, I, I wanna ask you, would you get together, would you Grab hands, I know we're in a time of social distancing, but these are people that you're with all the time. Um, and so I want you to just grab hands with someone there with you. If, if you are alone right now, um, God is there. Uh, we're there with you uh, through technology. And so I wanna encourage you to join your heart with ours uh, as we go to the Lord. I just wanna go to the Lord in prayer right now as we join our hearts and uh, many of us are able to join hands in agreement this morning. So Father, I do thank you for this time. I thank you for your love for us, your grace you've given us, God, that through Jesus and by faith in Jesus, we've been made right with you. God, relationship restored, our ability to know you restored, eternal life restored through Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you that eternal life does not start when we leave this earth, but it begins the moment that we know you. Jesus told us that to know, or eternal life is to know the Father and his Son. And so God, we thank you for that opportunity. Lord, we pray right now for the world we live in. God, we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime, but we know that you are bigger. And as we just sang, we know that there's power in the name of Jesus. And so together, uh, we declare his name over this situation, his sovereignty over this situation. God, we pray for those who've been affected, those who've been afflicted, those who've suffered loss. God, would you meet with them and comfort them and strengthen them by your presence that God, multitudes of people would lift their eyes to you during this time and that they would see your goodness, that they would see the cross, that they would recognize even in a fallen world that's been marred and disturbed and in many ways destroyed by sin, God, that the cross still tells us of your goodness and your desire to redeem and reconcile your creation back to yourself. And so Lord, I pray today that that would sink in even more deeply as we open your word to see the gospel, the good news of Jesus that didn't begin in a manger. Lord, that this good news, Lord, you've given is eternal. It doesn't just hang out there in some moment of time, but God, it's without beginning and without end. And God, that we could grab hold of it today and secure ourselves in it and rejoice in it. We love you, God. Thank you for truth. Thank you for love. Thank you for a living way that we can come to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Well, we're running a little behind on our normal time uh, frame, but the good thing about that today is I, I don't worry about that at all. If of any day uh, in the history of our church, I'm the least worried about it because you're not going anywhere anyway, right? And so if you get hungry, go get a little Debbie snack or some celery or whatever it is you need. Um, and we're just gonna go ahead with this message. I, I feel like it's something that's really um, important. It's, it's the best news that we could ever hear about Jesus and salvation. Um, and I really want you to see the whole picture. I wanna start with a very familiar verse, the most popular verse in Christianity. Um, and that's John 3:16. I wanna read John 3:16 and 17. But today I hope that through the word of God and through um, illustrating some things for you, I hope to bring more clarity around that, those verses so that we can really put them in their proper context. So we can really understand what those verses mean to us and how powerful they really are. And so let's read these verses. It says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so when we read these verses, very familiar, but I want us today to begin to put these into um, maybe a, a little bit better understanding of more of the context in which we find their greatest meaning, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. To do that, I want us to begin uh, in Genesis. Some of you have been around a while, you've heard a little bit of the stuff I'm gonna share today, but it'll be a good refresher. And, and again, I hope we can see this whole story of the gospel, uh, this whole um, redemption story. And, and scripture, as we look at it, it tells us one story. It tells us a story in which God is the main character. It tells us that the theme of this story is his love for his creation and his glory. And it shows us that the plot of this is his story of redemption and reconciliation. We think about redeeming something, it's an act of saving or being saved from sin or error or evil. It also means an act of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And so this is the story of God, the, the redemption and reconciliation story that God has given us. I want us to read a few verses here in Genesis chapter one. I know some people have a really hard time with the Genesis creation story. Some obviously saying that this is not true at all. Some saying that it's um, you know, more of uh, just a symbolic account of uh, the creation. But here's the thing I would encourage you with. As you look at this, if we negate Genesis and we negate the creation story, then we negate um, the very foundation that the gospel is built upon. We need to see this and understand this and, and I hope today to be able to help us do that. So let's read the first three verses here um, in Genesis chapter one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And it goes on and says that everything that God created, he saw that it was good. Now, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, that we've looked at for um, a long time here, very, um, very um, talked about the last couple of years here at Connection. It says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that 
They may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. One more section of scripture here. Uh, Genesis chapter two, uh, beginning in verse 20, says this. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God said, or then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Uh, this first section that I wanna talk to you about today, I wanna try to illustrate some of this on uh, the screen here for you. This first section we're gonna talk about today is gonna be called the fall, all right? And so when we look at this, I want you to see something that exists here um, in creation, in the original creation. Obviously we have God, we have man, and we have the world. And when we look at this, there are some things that exist uh, that we can see. One is that God is in perfect relationship with man. This little thing here, that's gonna be our symbol for relationship. Um, also, we see, we see that from the beginning where he creates them, there's, there's relationship, um, there's a connection there that exists perfectly between man and God. We also see in Genesis chapter two that there's this perfect relationship that exists between Adam and Eve. And I want you to notice something that's really incredible here is that when Adam is, is made, there's no suitable helper. But what was Eve to be a helper for? We see this, and this is really important, that Eve was created to be a helper to Adam in God's purpose for them on the earth. She wasn't created to be a helper to cook dinner, to, to wash clothes, to mop the floor. She was a creator. Our marriage was initially created so that man and woman together would be put on mission together. This was the purpose of creation. And I want you to see this link between mankind and the world. And so this is what exists. And God created them actually in this order. God, who was uncreated, exists but then he created the world and everything in it. He came back then and created man. Now man was intended to be what I would call um, mediators to mediate God's rule, his sovereignty over the earth. He gave them the ability, the authority to do this. And so this is what we see in the beginning. This was how creation existed. Now I want you to see what happens. We go to Genesis three, we know that sin happened, but what really happened in sin? Um, this will be the second diagram. And so we're still talking about the fall. What really happened when sin took place? What really happened is this, you have God and you have man. 
what man decided through Satan coming in and, and him beginning to tempt them that if you eat of this fruit, you'll become like God. You'll know good and good, the difference between good and evil. You'll recognize that your eyes will be open. And so they get tempted. They eat the fruit. They literally rebel against God. And so this is what we see happens, that mankind was not content to be like God. They wanted to be God. And so what happens is they basically try to assert God's authority and man tries to elevate themselves above God. Little concern with the relationship or anything else. Now man wants to be gods in the earth. We see this in Romans chapter one. If you wanna flip there real quick, Romans chapter one, we see where Paul writes um, in the New Testament now, after Jesus has come, he begins to tell us this story of rebellion that happened. In Romans chapter one, verse 18, it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Many people believe when, when Paul wrote the godlessness of people, he's writing about their rebellion against God. When he talks about the wickedness of people, that he's writing about the sin against mankind, that mankind began to sin against one another. He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, what we're talking about, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God and knew God from a sense of knowing about his existence, being able to recognize this, being without excuse, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And this is important, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires to their, to, of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Now, when we look at this, Paul is telling us that even though mankind should recognize God and even his divine characteristics and attributes by what's been created, he's saying man didn't do this, but they suppressed the truth um, that they uh, really traded the truth of God for a lie. And we see this, that the three words that we read that in what happened, and this is how the wrath of God is being revealed in many ways, is that God gave them over. God gave them over to their own ways. And so we see what happens is that in the beginning, this was intended. But what ends up happening is man basically causes a rebellion. Man turns against God, turns over what God had given them to the enemy. And now so much or everything that God intended has been broken. I want you to look now at what happens the very first thing, if we look at this, is number three. I want you to see what happens if we look at Genesis chapter three, verses eight through 11. And we're talking about this situation where God and man and then the world are all in this relationship. Everything is connected, everything is in harmony. The created order is established. 
But after sin, we read this, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now I want you to see in this that what's happened is because of sin and rebellion, um, this relationship with God has been broken. And so now we can literally take this and what we see in this is that that relationship is broken, it's snapped, it's gone. Uh, man's rebellion, man's sin has now separated them from this relationship ability to relate to God. But then we go on, and if you look there um, a little further down at verse 11, it says, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And so when we begin to look at this, the Eve, who at the beginning was a source of blessing to Adam, has now become the source of blame. She's the one that I blame. And, and then what we see here is that relationship is destroyed. This connection with them is destroyed. We see it further carried out in Genesis chapter 4, where um, Cain kills Abel. If you flip over to James, the book of James, towards the end of the Bible, right after the book of Hebrews, and we look at this, James tells us in chapter four, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on yourselves. He, he tells them, you know, you're an adulterous people. He's saying you're friendly with the world, and then down in verse 7, he says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And when we look at this, we realize what James is telling them is do the opposite of what happened at the beginning in creation instead of asserting absurd, instead of rebelling against God's authority let's use that what we see is James is telling submit to God submit to God this is your intended posture this is your intended purpose but with that gone what we see is this that now man's purpose has been eroded it's gone they can no longer fulfill their purpose we see this if you go to Genesis chapter 11. I won't read it, but I want you to see this, that, that in Genesis 11, mankind is doing exactly the opposite of what they were created to do. They were created to multiply and scatter throughout the earth, to rule and reign over the earth in a way that brings God glory. But we find them in Genesis chapter 11, all huddled up, building a tower for their name, trying to create a kingdom for their name, building a tower to heaven. And God comes down and scatters them. They're not fulfilling his purpose. We see selfishness and strife and all of these things exist throughout the rest of creation from that time until now we see exactly what James is talking about people not submitted to God people looking out for themselves even in times like this now we see where people are trying to um, self-preserve rather than self-sacrifice for those around them and so we recognize this that the purpose is gone and this is what I believe happened. When man and God were separated, they could no longer see God clearly. And I believe this inability to see, it almost became like looking into a mirror. And what they began to do is they began to see themselves 
they began to see the world around them and they began to think in their minds, this must be about us. And so the world today now lives with this mindset that this is about me. But remember, the main character of the story is God. The theme is his love for his creation and his glory throughout the earth. And the plot of this story is his redemption and reconciliation of his creation back to himself. And so we see that this is where we're left, that God and man and the world, his purpose for man have been lost. But here's the crazy thing, and I want you to see this. Then we go to John 3, 16 and 17, because I want you to look at this world that God created, that in the beginning, this is what was intended, perfection, relationship, purpose. And this is the world we were left with. But this is where God tells us these verses. And this is what's amazing about this, is that God loved this world God loved it even when it was like this, not just when it was like this. God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And what God began to do immediately, we see this in Genesis 3.15 um, and then Genesis 3.21, is that God did not give up on creation. And so what you have here is God, and even, listen, even though man tried to set God to the side and become God, that can't happen. So man chose to live as though God did not exist. When we come to Genesis chapter 12, we encounter a man by the name of Abraham. And this man, Abraham, um, he's no, no one that was any more special than anybody else. He was a part of the fall, just like you and I. And yet God comes to him, even though mankind had tried to push him out of the way to become gods, God comes to Abram who later becomes Abraham and begins to establish a relationship with him. I want you to see this though in Genesis chapter 3, 15 and 21, that God gives us these prophecies that one day he's gonna reestablish all that was lost. He begins to tell us that he's not given up on us and he's not given up on the world. The first one we read is where he tells the enemy, he tells Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. When we read this, this is the first prophecy of Jesus that he will come and strike the enemy, that, that um, even though the enemy will strike him and, and will cause wounds and, and we know that that happened at the cross, he would ultimately crush Satan. We also see in Genesis 3.21, it says the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What did he do? The first sacrifice we see in scripture is all the way back in Genesis 3.21. And you can follow this trail of blood all the way from Genesis 3.21 to the cross where Jesus shed his blood to redeem us from our sin. He went to the cross to take the wrath of God upon himself for our sin. He who had no sin became sin so we could become, again, the righteousness of God. He was condemned so we wouldn't have to be. We see this foreshadowed all the way back in Genesis 3, 21. 
If you go to Genesis 3.12, as I said, you see this promise made to Abraham. He tells Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. He tells him in uh, the, the second part of verse 2, he says, I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so what we see here is that God is already telling us what's going to happen. I would tell you this part of it is what I would call the promises. And I, I put these, these um, connections here in gray because what we see in the Old Testament is this faint view, this, this sort of faint um, foreshadowing of what's to come. And with Abraham, God promises this. He promises them really three things, that this relationship that man had forfeited because of what they um, had, because of the rebellion and sin, he says, this relationship is gonna be restored. I'm reestablishing relationship with man. He also shows us through Abraham where later as Abraham believes God about becoming a great nation, he says that, because he believed God, because of his faith, he was made righteous. And we see that God is going to make them into a great nation, a kingdom. And we see that God's telling them, once again, I'll give you back your dominion and your rule. And so we see these promises. If you go to now Exodus chapter 19, what you begin to see is where God takes us even further with Moses. He tells Moses and um, Exodus 19, beginning verse three, it says, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have, have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He's talking about bringing them out of Egypt where they were in slavery. He says, now, and this is key, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. They go on and say, we'll do everything that the Lord has promised. What do we see in this? We see again that God is establishing relationship with man, but it's on the basis of keeping the commandments that he's about to give them in Exodus 20. We see that he's going to make them into a nation, giving them back the ability to rule and reign in the earth. We see that he's going to give them righteousness, but again, it's based on them keeping the law. The thing in all of this is great. It's a great promise, but it was based on man's ability and man's ability cannot keep the law. We all know that, that we cannot keep the law. So the law was never intended to save man. Law was intended to point man to the need of a savior. The law was intended to condemn, to show us our condemnation, that you have sinned. This is the plumb line and you don't meet it. This is the standard and you do not meet it. And so we see though that the standards of the relationship, that, that, that they would be a nation connected together, that they would rule again in the earth. It was promised, but it was gray. It was a foreshadowing. Go to 2 Samuel Chapter 7, just keep flipping to the right. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we're going to begin here in verse 11. And this is God speaking to David. 
King David. And in verse, uh, let's see, verse 11. We'll begin reading there. God says this, and I will also give you rest from all your enemies, speaking to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What's he telling us? Again, he's painting this picture, one of relationship, two of a great nation, but three, a king who will sit on a throne forever and rule over the earth. We see again, these faint promises of restoration of relationship, righteousness, and the ability to reign in the earth and rule in the earth and regaining the purpose that God intended for mankind in the earth. But what I would tell you in this, and look at this, that these right now, as great and as encouraging as it is, at this point in history, these are just promises. They're yet to be fulfilled. And here's why. Because the world was really still in this situation. There was no corrected or perfected relationship with God. There was no ability for man to relate properly to themselves, there was no purpose that they were able to fulfill in the earth. But John 3, 16 through 17, is still God so loved that he didn't quit. He's working out a plan, a story in which he is the main character, a story in which the theme is his love for creation and his glory in the earth, a, a story in which the plot is his redemption and reconciliation of his creation and his purposes back to himself. And so we move on then from just the promises that we see throughout the Old Testament and we come to the fulfillment. The fulfillment. And this is where Jesus comes into the picture. And this is what I want you to see. The Bible can tell us this, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. In fact, all the promises of God are fulfilled. They're held in Christ. How do we know? This is what Jesus came to do. He came to fulfill all of those gray foreshadowed promises that God had given. He came to fulfill those. And when we look at this, we realize now that John 3, 16 is really telling us how that happened. That God sent another mediator. A mediator now between God and man, a mediator between God and his creation, a mediator between man, a mediator between the world to reconcile all that was lost back to himself. We see this in John 3:16. Also, uh, if you want to go look at another passage, go look at Hebrews 9:13 through 15. Go read through it. It talks about that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. He did for us what all the other sacrifices could not do. And so we see that God so loved that he sent another mediator, Jesus, who would mediate between God and us. 
who would make a way for us to come to God between God and us. He would build a bridge. He would come back or come to us and he would reestablish those connections, those relationships, the purpose that was lost. How do you do this? What does this look like? When we come here in the fulfillment, we see God orchestrating, working out this plan. We see that he then begins to work to reestablish the relationship between himself and mankind. I want you to see this in some scriptures. Um, Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one, um, Paul talks about this. Colossians chapter one, not Corinthians, but Colossians. We're gonna read here verses 19 through 22. It says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, meaning Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies. Why? Because man had rebelled against him in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What's he saying? He's saying that through Jesus, this relationship, this connection has been reestablished with mankind, has been reestablished with mankind. There are other scriptures that I would tell you here that you can go look at that speak to this. Go look at Ephesians uh, chapter two, verses four through 10. Go look at 2 Corinthians um, chapter five, verses 20 through 21. It's all throughout scripture. Why? Because this is the, the plot of the story, the reconciliation, the redemption of creation through Jesus Christ. So we see this happen. Then we see this also takes place with a connection of God and God giving us his love. Now the ability for us to begin to love one another comes back. We're able to have this ability, this reestablishing of relationship between us, that, that all the people groups in the world now, that they can become one people again through the work of Jesus on the cross. Again, I want us to look at um, a couple of verses that speak to this. Go to Galatians, go backwards from Colossians to Galatians chapter three. Paul writing to the church of Galatia, Paul, the apostle Paul says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. All these people that were scattered because of their rebellion against God, he's now saying you have become one people in Christ. You are now the body of Christ. Your purpose is now to be a representation of God in the world that when people look at you, they can see a tangible expression of God on the earth. If you go read Ephesians chapter two um, here, uh, and you look at that verse or those verses, chapter two in Ephesians, uh, um, after you get to uh, through verse 10, go read um, Ephesians chapter two, verses 13 through 22. 
It talks about how we're being built into a temple, one people being built into a temple for the glory of God, for our purposes here on earth. And then here's where it gets really cool. We also see again this connection back to the earth, our purpose, our intended purpose. Matthew chapter 28. Flip all the way back to the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. Many of you are familiar with this, but what I want you to see, um, this is oftentimes the, called the Great Commission. I honestly feel like it should be called the Great Recommission because what God's doing is commissioning man to do what they were originally intended to do to start with. So it's really the great recommission. And what we see is that Jesus is telling them, um, he says in verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We see Jesus reestablishing, recommissioning mankind to do their purpose on earth. Go to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. I just want you to see these scriptures. There's so many more we could go to. Why? Because the Bible tells one story, a story with the plot that is God's reconciliation and his redemption of mankind to himself. Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus, as he's about to ascend to heaven, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we look at this, Matthew um, 28, 18 through 20, Acts 1, 8, telling us the very same thing, the very same purpose that we were originally given by God at creation that was lost because we lost relationship, righteousness, and the ability to rule in the earth the way we were created to. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm recommissioning you to go and do what you were originally created to do from the very beginning. And we see from Genesis 1 and 2 all the way to, to Acts chapter 1, 8, that God's purpose and intent for the world has never changed. And when we see this, it's pretty incredible to think that this book that we hold in our hands, the Bible, from Genesis 1 all the way to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it all tells one, one story. It all has uh, one main character, God. It all has one theme, the love of God for his creation and that his glory would fill the earth. And it all has the same plot, the reconciliation and redemption of God's creation and, and reconciled back to himself. And when we see this, that the gospel doesn't just dangle out there somewhere in space, but it's, it, it's, it's from Genesis to Revelation. It's without beginning and without end. It begins to make so much more sense. Why? Because we see the full picture of this. And so what we begin to see is that in Jesus, all that was lost is restored. God's relationship with man, man's ability 
to once again be one. Why? Because we're not living for ourselves. We are living for God. Why? Because we have received God's love and now we're able to pass it on to others. We're able to forgive. Why? Because the forgiveness of God has been given to us. If God can forgive us of our sin, how can we not forgive others of their sin? We see that God has torn down every barrier that separates man, whether it's economic, whether it's uh, country boundaries, whether it's um, um, skin color, whatever it may be, these boundaries have been torn down so that we can become one people. And why do we come, become one people? We become one people to fulfill his purpose. And when we look at this, what we see is that Jesus restored everything back to the way it was before the fall. Everything came back to the way it was intended to be. Now it's not perfected. We're in this not yet, um, already not yet state. But we know again that God has given great promises to hold on to that this will be perfected. But in the meantime, we've been given our ability back to do what God has called us to do. Not in our own ability, because before Jesus left the earth and while he was on the earth, he promised that he would give us the Holy Spirit, one that was like him, not one that was um, him himself, but another one like him, exactly like him, but not him. And that is the Holy Spirit. And we read in Acts chapter two, that when Jesus told him, you'll receive power, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter two, the believers, they're gathered together and the spirit of God comes upon them. And this is in itself, the fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies that these prophets, these people of God had spoken and promised would happen. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they've given, they're given power and courage and boldness to go and proclaim this good news message that we've shared with you today to, to the world to fulfill our purpose that the earth, the creation, mankind would be reconciled to God that the earth be filled with people who are praising him, glorifying him in all the earth He's given us the ability through the power of his spirit, through relationship with him and each other, given us back our purpose so that we can do what we were originally created to do in the first place. God so loved the world that he did all of that. That he didn't quit he didn't give up. He didn't move on. We have this great promise that Jesus is with us always. Even in times like this right now, that Jesus is with us. That is our hope. That is our hope. It's not just in doctors. Pray God uses doctors. It's not in government leaders. I pray God uses our government leaders. But at the end of the day, our hope is in one who is so much greater. It's in Jesus. And if you know Christ, here's the awesome thing. If you know Jesus, you have come into a relationship with Christ. You've surrendered your life. You've done what James said. You've submitted yourself to God. And through Jesus, you have been united with him. Then listen, you know the Father. Jesus said this. That if you have seen him, you have seen the Father. If you know him, you know the Father. And so here's the incredible thing, that, that eternal life for you has already started. 
It doesn't start when you die. It starts right now. The moment you come into knowing the Father, you have entered into eternal life. It means that for you, this, this earth um, life you have right now, it's the worst it's ever going to get for you. This is the good news. This is the good news for us in Christ. This is our hope. If God provided his son for us, will he not provide for us in these times? The Bible tells us we can ask and he'll give us the spirit. What I want to encourage you with today, if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, you said yes to a relationship with Christ, not going through the motions because going through the motions won't sustain you in times like this, but you have a relationship with Jesus, what I want to encourage you with right now is to grab hold of that. Remind yourself of the promises. Remind yourself of who Jesus is. Second thing I want to do, and I know today we're, we're all scattered about, but if you're watching this and you've never said yes to Jesus, you don't have to be in a church building to come to faith in Christ. If the Holy Spirit is, has opened your eyes to see Christ and who he is, then today, you can begin a relationship with Jesus. You can begin a relationship with God through Jesus. You today can be filled with the Spirit of God to live out this life in relationship with God, relationship with others, and fulfilling your purpose in the world. You today can have this hope that only comes through Christ. And if today the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes, you see this, and maybe for the first time it's just clicked and you just know, listen, this is what... God's calling me to is faith, belief, trust in Jesus. Then you don't have to be in a building to say yes to him. Right now, you just surrender your life to him. There's no magic um, words you have to say. It's just a matter of you saying, Jesus, I need you. It's it's posturing your heart in submission to him. Just crying out to him and saying, Lord, I trust you. I want to follow you. Thank you for saving me. And if right now you do that in your heart, you confess that with your mouth, then the Bible tells us that you're saved. And here's what we do want to do. The Bible also teaches that we can't do this life alone. That when you come to faith in Jesus, you become a part of a family, a body. And though we're scattered around right now, we're all one in our this Holy Spirit. We're still one body. And we want to come alongside you if today you say yes to Jesus. We want to come alongside you to help you follow, to help you walk out your faith journey with him. There's a couple of ways that this can happen because we want to be able to connect with you even in these times where we're scattered around. We want to be able to connect with you and walk this journey out with you. One of those is this. If you're watching on the website, there should be a link below the picture that says salvation now. You can click that. What it's going to do is take you to a page. You give us information. We're going to contact you. 
to help you continue to walk this out. We want you to know you're a part of something bigger than just you. You're part of the body, the family of Jesus. If you're watching on Facebook or, and YouTube, I would encourage you to go to our website. It's real simple. You can go to this connection.church backslash salvation. Connection.church backslash salvation. It's going to take you to the same page. We want to get information. We want to connect with you. We want to walk with you. We want you to know you're a part of the body of Christ, not the connection church, but the body, the church, God's worldwide body. I pray that many of you have had your eyes opened by the Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that many of you have been encouraged in the hope that we have. And I pray that all of us would have more courage and boldness, even in these times when opportunity presents itself to share the good news of Christ. I want to pray for us, and then we'll be done for today. Father, I thank you for your word and its truth, God, that when we look at this, this Bible, this scripture you've given us it's, that comes from you, Lord, that it shows us, it tells us this incredible story. God, that you are the main character, that the theme of this is your love for your creation and your glory in the earth. And God, that the plot of this is all about how you have redeemed and reconciled creation to yourself and how that's gonna be perfected in the end. So God, I love you. I pray, God, that we would strengthen ourselves in you by remembering your great promises you've given us, that we would remember that you are with us, you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, we remember that if you provide for the sparrows, you will provide for us. God, we, we just thank you for all of it. That this is not our home, but God, while we're here, let us be useful to you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope you have a great week. Cling to Christ, cling to the promises, um, walk in the power of the Spirit.